Welcome to Afikra. This is another episode of Quarter Tones. My name is Mikey Mhenna. Today on this series, I have Sleiman Damien, who is a musician, music producer, DJ, um, extraordinaire from Lebanon, and has worked with so many artists. It's, the list is too long to list. Um, Sleiman, welcome to Afikra. Thank you so much, Mikey. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you for the opportunity of having me here. I really yeah. appreciate it. The, the, it's a privilege for us. No. I want to ask you about three words, and I want to see how you feel about these three words. Okay, cool. Arab pop fusion. Because when I read about you online, I see this phrase a lot. Mm. And I wonder how you feel about this phrase. هلا هي شوي قريبه على سليمان ديميان لانه الفيوجن جاي مع الارب بوب هي سليمان ديميان على فكره انا من الشوف بس بس اجنبناها شوي لك ارب بوب فيوجن ما بعرف اذا فيوجن لازم تكون موجوده بالمعادله كلمه فيوجن بحسها كثير غريبه لانه يعني اي دونت ثينك اصلا وات ار يو فيوجن صح انه اتس ارب بوب يعني انه اتس لايك بوبولار ارابيك ميوزك هلا سو فار اتس جنرالي popular with territories tabana but you know with the way things are developing it's starting to become more and more popular بمطارح غير مش حتى بمنطلق انه اتس وورلد ميوزك بس انه اتس جاست بوب ميوزك ان ا ديفرنت لانجويج ذا سيم واي يو هاف كي بوب يو ودنت كول ات يو نو كورين بوب فيوجن اتس كي بوب يو نو صح يا ار يو ام اف اي ونت باك تو ذا ام ذا سليمان اوف ذا the early 90s mm. what were you listening to at the time backstreet boys mainly uh, like sarah i didn't grow up listening to a lot of arabic music uh, my dad introduced me to jazz music very early on but no you know as a kid it's a bit uh, hard to digest and to understand so you gravitate to more towards things that are more palatable so I used to listen to a lot of pop music like any you know kid right up until my teenage years and then I went into you know metal music which is a weird transition because you know like most of the pop producers that were working back then and making music for you know the Backstreet Boys and people like that came from a metal background and moved over to pop so yeah. so I moved to metal music and then moved to you know uh jazz again because metal music didn't feel intellectual enough for me because at that point you know making music becomes sort of an intellectual exercise if you're not too careful and then i went back to pop honestly i went back to you know listening to stuff from the 80s stuff from the 70s then back to stuff from the 90s you're like pantera miles <laughs> davis backstreet boys yeah exactly <laughs> But it went full circle, like it was Backstreet Boys, Pantera, and yeah. then, you know, like even weirder stuff, then jazz music, then Backstreet Boys. So funny. Yeah. Um, so when did you start playing music? Playing music? You know, uh, I really don't remember. I mean, I know that my grandparents had a very old piano in their house, and I used to mess around on it when I was a kid. I think my dad bought me my first electric guitar when I was 13 or something. And, you know, I was obsessed with my guitar. And that was, you know, my metal phase. Yeah. 
but I never really took it seriously. I took very sporadic lessons, uh, you know, started a few bands, got kicked out from all of them because I never was a really good musician to begin with. <laughs> And, and you yeah. start playing I, I Want It That Way covers. And then, <laughs> Dude, we don't want to, we don't want, I want it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of how I started playing music. How funny. Um, but so when did you start thinking of that, you know, okay, all right, I'm getting kicked out of bands, but I think I might be able to pay my bills this way. I think I might be able to be a songwriter. I think I might be able to help in the songwriting process. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think that's a good, that switch? there's a good six, seven years between those two events. So I was always starting bands because I always wanted to be involved in something that is related to music in a way or another. Uh, and, you know, I really, I really never could find it in myself to practice enough to be a good musician, like a good performing artist. Uh, I didn't have the discipline. I would get bored really easily. So when I'm doing exercises on my guitar, I just, you know, switch back to the same blues scale that I'm comfortable with. And I play the same lick over and over again, rather than, you know, put in the effort. Uh, so I kind of, you know, not dropped it for a while, but sort of lost interest until my dad got me like a CD uh, with, you know, all of these pirate, pirated software uh, for making music. Fruity, like, loops. Fruity yeah. loops and stuff, but like the very early versions. Yeah. Uh, my dad played a really big part in me becoming a musician because he, he, he's not a musician, but he's a music lover. And, you know, we always had music around the house and he was always trying to expose me to new stuff. And at the time he got me the software, uh, you know, all of my friends were listening to trance music because that was the trend in Lebanon. You used to have like every couple of days Tiesto and Armin Van Buren and all the, that stuff performing in Lebanon. I never was interested in that music in the beginning. But when I got the software, this was the type of music that I generally gravitated to because of all the stuff that was happening around me. And because, you know, it sort of makes sense. Fruity Loops is a loop-based software. It used to be, at least now it's a lot more uh, advanced and uh, complex. Uh, so that was the easiest music to make for me. So I was just remaking Adagio for Strings by Tiesto. Yeah, uh, just for fun. In the little boxes. Exactly. And clicking the little boxes. Exactly. And I fell in love with it uh, because I didn't have to be good at music in real time. I just had to be good at, you know, sort of envisioning music and find ways to build it. And I still think this is my forte because I don't really play any instruments well. You know, I, I dabble a little bit because you need to understand the instruments that you're writing for. But for me, it's much easier to sort of creates, envision something and create it and maybe hire somebody incredible to play it, to record the part or, you know, have, you know, program it on a, on a virtual instrument or something like that. So when that happened, I kept making music over and over and over again every day that I was addicted to it, sort of like, you know, going back home and playing World of, World of Warcraft until 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. That, that was my thing, but except it was music. And uh, eventually... You know, I started meeting some people, producing some small projects. Then I started ghost producing for a really big uh, Arabic music producer that I will not be naming. Uh, and once that happened, I started making a good income out of it. At least for my age, I was 18 and, you know, I was making enough to sort of help support my family and have a little pocket money and live yeah. 
a life that I would like to live at 18. Uh, what does it I feel like to be a ahead. ghost producer? It, it's it's awful. Uh, I don't regret it because, you know, I actually was paid for it and I agreed to it, but I was a kid. But it's horrible because you're not getting credited for the work that you do. So when this guy and I, uh, you know, had a falling out. I had a falling out, a really big one. Uh, and I had like a few hits uh, in the market at 18 and 19. I couldn't capitalize on those to, you know, drive in new clients, new artists that wanted to work with me. Uh, and I actually dropped out of college when I started working with him. I was I was learning uh, architecture at Alba. I did like half a semester. But when I found myself, you know, making an income out of this, uh, I, I dropped out of college and I was, you know, pursuing this full time. When I had a falling out with him, I just, you know, spent a year, a couple of years with nothing to my name and with no clients to speak of whatsoever because nobody knew who I was. And you couldn't tell anybody? I mean, I could, but it would be my word against his. And at the time, it just didn't feel like it was a hill I wanted to die on. Yeah. Yeah. How common is that? It is quite common, actually, especially in the in the Arab world. I mean, you know, it's fine to hire somebody to help you out with uh, a project or to co-produce something with someone. I do that a lot, uh, but I always make sure I credit them. Uh, but there's a really big ego problem with, you know, music professionals in the region, especially the old guard, like uh, the people who were, you know, really popular 10 years ago and were the, you know, main industry names back then. I feel like the new generation isn't like that. Everybody's more open to collaboration and, you know, try to keep their, they try to keep their egos in check and, you know, try to give uh, credit where it's due. It's crazy to think about like what that would do to your self-esteem and sense of purpose and trust and like how quickly, how long did it take to get to the point where you could trust collaborators again? Uh, actually, it didn't really have any impact on my self-esteem back then because, you know, I, at the time, I really only cared that it was bringing me uh, income. And, you know, seeing these songs become successful, even without my name on them, it just felt nice. And I, I, I didn't really understand the value of putting your name on something until I stopped having an income and stopped having clients, you know. Uh, but it was easy to for me to trust collaborators again because another producer I met about a year later is uh, Michel Fader. He's an incredible composer, music producer, pianist. He's an, a really dope guy. I met him, we became friends, and... Um, well, he called me up. He told me he has a song that he wanted uh, me to produce for Carol Smeha because it wasn't, you know, his style. He's more into the orchestral stuff. I was making a bit more electronic stuff back then. So uh, he recommended me to Carol and uh, I got the job and the song was a massive hit and he didn't even yeah. credit himself for it. I, I got credited for it and, you know, I produced the whole thing and I got paid uh, my whole fee. So... Uh, you know, it's, it's not like everybody is out to get you. It's just that, yeah. you know, some people are. Yeah. So that hit, two, 2014, okay? Mm. 
I want to play a little bit of that. Yeah, that song was the first hit I had my name on. It really, it really changed my career completely. Uh, I'll play some of it for you. Let me yeah, let's just play some of it because I'm curious to see how you feel. production sort of aged <laughs> because it's nine years ago but it's a good song right it's catchy i think it's, i think it still gets a lot of you know rotation in clubs people still like I it wanna, yeah i want to ask you what metrics do you care about do you care about people dancing do you care about replays do you care about quotables do you care about prestige what do you care about The thing I care about most before the song is released, while I'm still working on it, to, you know, to convey the emotional message properly. So if the song is supposed to make you dance, my production should help facilitate that. If the song should help you get over a bad breakup, my production should help facilitate that, etc. So this is what I care about. After it's released, first off, I care about whether people like it or not, because you can always put out something Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I care about the numbers a lot, but I also care about the organic engagement, uh, you know, the song is getting. So sometimes you have songs that are not getting, you know, tens of millions of streams, but, you know, every day I get uh, tagged in 20, 30 covers of the song on Instagram. So it sort of resonated with people just in a different way. So as long as yeah. it resonates with people, I'm happy, whether it's through numbers or whether it's through, you know, engagement. Yeah. And like working with Carol in that example, right? Yeah. How do you ideally, and maybe in the early part of your careers, beggars can't be choosers, but what does it look like to work with a singer um, when it's going extremely well? You <laughs> know, what does it look like to work with a singer where it's a nightmare? Wow. Uh, okay, working with Carol is always a pleasure. I'm still working with her now. We, we did like three or four songs recently, and uh, we're going to work on a couple of them, uh, you know, in a month. Uh, she's great to work with. She's, she's a really good musician. She, she knows her stuff, you know. Uh, so I like that. When I produced the song, I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have as much... Uh, 
بعرف شو رايك قالت يعني رايي ما كان له ثقل قد ما رايي له ثقل هلا سو اف ذير واز سمثينج ذات اي لايك ان ذا ارتست لايك يو نو ات وود بي ان اوتوماتيك فيتو فروم ذا ارتست رايت سو ان ذا سونج اي ريلي ونت تو دوز بس ذس از سمثينج ذا ارتست وانتد باك ناو ريتروسبكتيفلي اي ام جلاد وي ديد بيكوز ذي ساوند جود اي مين اي فيل لايك ذي هيلب ذا سونج ان ا واي بيكوز اتس بارت اوف وات ميكس ات كاتشي Right now, my process is a little bit different because a lot of the artists that come to me that, that want to work with me, they want to do so because what I create is, what I try to create is usually something that's different and they usually approach me because they want to get out of their comfort zone. So with most artists, the, the process is really, 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 really smooth. But sometimes... You know, you, you, you face situations where there is a, you know, tangible lack of alignment in, uh, in the vision for the song. And when that happens, rather than, you know, pick a battle, I sort of pull out and tell them that maybe I'm not the right person for the job. And I would make recommendations for somebody who can help them achieve what they are seeing. But yeah. that's... an extreme scenario where I find it impossible to really align with the artist's vision. And that's very, very, very rare. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, because, you know, it's like, it's funny, before the conversation, uh, before we spoke, the first time I met you, um, we were talking about, type, okay, you know, what other, what are some of the songs we want to choose for the interview because it's quarter tones. And both of us were... sort of scratching our heads because your discography is huge and with so many different types of characters. Yeah. So I'm going to put you in a position that maybe you have not been before. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you about some of these characters. Okay. And let's contrast some of their musical style when working with them. Okay, cool. Okay? So somebody like uh, Georges Wassouf. Yeah. What's it like working with George Wasouf? Intense. Very, very, very intense, as you would imagine. But also, you know, a blessing. Because, you know, he, he's an awesome guy. He's one of, he's a legend, you know. He's, a, he's like our very own Elvis Presley. He's a rock star. He's the king of Tarab. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, surreal working with him. Uh, he's, he's uh, I don't know... He's a bit difficult, but rightly so. When you get to this position in your career, you sort of feel things that other people won't be able to feel. So I was always trying to accommodate that. One issue that we faced was his health has been deteriorating, sadly, for the, for the last few years. And, you know, this put a really big strain on our schedule because, you know, we had to do a lot of, different sessions in order to get the material that we wanted and a lot of revisions and a lot of things. And, you know, tying this with whatever was going with him personally was difficult. The song actually took a year to produce, but it was yeah. one of the most interesting experiences in my career so far. What about, what is it like working with Haifa Wehbe? Amazing. I love working with Haifa. I mean, we've been working together since, uh, since COVID, you know, uh, yeah. we were only seeing each other and just 
going to the studio every day and working on her album, I think we did like 16 songs and we're still making some more songs. Uh, Haifa is somebody who loves music more than you can imagine. I feel like she's not passionate about anything as much as she's passionate about music. And she likes to experiment and she's the type of person who, you know, gives you, you know, carte blanche. I'm not sure how you would say that in English. Carte blanche. (laughs) Okay, cool. To, uh, To do whatever it is that you feel if uh, if it sounds good so yeah. i think haifa was one of the artists i experienced experimented with the most uh well at least one of the you know mainstream artists that i experimented with the most she she's uh, she's really incredible i, when, I enjoy working with her whenever i see pop stars who have staying power mm. in the multiple decade long staying power yeah i always think to myself this person must have a superpower. Yeah. What is Haifa's superpower? I, I don't think, you know, you need a superpower to have staying power. I think you just have to have been making music uh, 10 years ago, at least, because I don't feel like anybody right now is able to capitalize on their own staying power because of how music is consumed and because, you know, how fast everything is changing. Uh-huh. I feel like it was much easier, you know, in the studio fan days to, you know, become huge and stay that way. Oh, interesting. So basically the, the legacy stars can be, can stay stars, Yeah. but the system as it's set, set up right now is not producing long term. It makes it incredibly difficult to, to, to create artists with staying power right now. And it's even making it much more difficult to create stars because right now it's all about the song. It's not about the artist anymore, which is yeah. which may or not or may not be a bad thing or a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, generally, you know, these days you just have a bunch of one hit wonders who end up disappearing or you know who end up folding back to their niche. Uh, and then they can have another hit, but, you know, it's not uh, uh, homogenous and... Uh, steady. Steady, not steady. Another thing, but not steady works. Uh, yeah. For it to create, you know, a superstar the way that, you know, Haifa Wahb is or George uh, Wasuf is or Raghav Alem is or... Uh, yeah. I think it's. So it, I, think, about... I think it's just a different ball game right now. But to be to clarify, I'm not you know belittling you know the the awesomeness of the people who managed to make it uh, as uh, as staying stars. Yeah. Mm. So let's talk about a, a more contemporary uh, singer. So like somebody like Dana Hurani, who has really has established herself as having a huge following. Dan, if you're listening to this, I really want you to be on quarter tones. Um, it's interesting to hear um, how uh, it's interesting to investigate how somebody like that is in the studio versus a legacy superstar like Haifa. Is there any sort of differences in how you work with either of them? Okay, so first off, let me tell you that Dana is one of my closest friends on the planet. I was actually going to wear her merch t-shirt to this, uh, but then I changed my mind because she sent me an XXL, and I'm like, uh, 
160 centimeters. So it's it's basically a dress on me. <laughs> it's it's based on your talent. You're an XXO <laughs> talent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so yeah, and uh, not only am I producing her music and have produced her last album, I'm actually consulting on her entire you know musical career uh, right now, and we're doing some really interesting stuff. I couldn't be prouder of what we've achieved so far and what we're planning to achieve. Uh, to get back to your question, هي منا قصة إنه الفرق بين إنه الشغل بين حدا مع حدا established حدا مش established هي إجمالا أو حدا huge أو حدا niche artist أو حدا developing وحدا already صار له عشر سنين كسر الدنيا هي trip إنه كل artist عنده trip تبعه عنده طريقه كيف بيفكر وكيف بيشتغل وكيف بيحس الامور so it's really difficult to put you know to, to have like these two categories and to compare both but i can compare haifa to dana definitely uh, with dana specifically uh, uh, you know it's not about being more adventurous than with haifa because with haifa we were experimenting a lot and we were being very adventurous but Haifa still has, you know, a sort of responsibility to make a hit after a hit after a hit after a hit. And Dana, you know, still hasn't had one mega hit. She's had songs that were successful in, in her audience, but she hasn't had like a pan-Arab song that's, you know, a household name that my, gram- my grandma could, mo- could know and my little sister could know. So, yeah. uh, uh So there's more experimentation with Dana specifically because we're still trying to find, you know, the the right sound for her, the sound that will, you know, make Dana a household name rather than an, a very successful and uh, uh, and beloved uh, uh, niche artist. Yeah. Okay, let's listen to another track just so we can um, get more familiar. Cool. What's... What's the next track that you have in mind? I think since we're talking about Dana, I think we should uh, listen to the last single we dropped. Walk me through the, the writing process okay. for this uh, song. This song. So, the way that we worked with Dana, she approached me uh, a couple of, uh, less than a couple of years ago to consult on her new album. 
uh, and to help her, you know, develop her new sound because she wanted to evolve from the sound that was created for her first album. So what we did is that we started scouting for uh, for lyrics, for melodies, for top lines. Dana doesn't write her own music. Uh, she likes to bring in people and have, you know, a team sort of brainstorm. And she always had, you know, has... Uh, you know, a big part of uh, of the creative process, ma. But no, she likes involving a lot of people with the final product. The problem that we have is that the is a bit limited. Meaning, the limitations are limited. كثير صعب توصل فكرة جديدة بطريقة كيف بينكتب الكلام اللبناني هلا وكثير صعب انك تطلع من طريقة كيف بينكتب هذا الكلام اللبناني بلا ما تكون كثير مزعج على سمع الاودينسز اللي رح يسمعوك فتعذبنا كثير بقصة الكلام كان انه finding melodies was very easy بس انه finding somebody to write something to them was always hard so I ended up teaching myself how to write Arabic songs just for this project. But I tried to experiment because it's very difficult to find experimentation with you. There are many people who are very good and they do it but it's not the thing that it's supposed to Yeah. Yeah. We can take the song and the This because we have to release but we don't have a good first, مش a good first release on They're all good songs, but album. But we wanted something upbeat uh, with a positive, positive message, uh, you know, يعني adequate for the summer. And we have a few of those, but they're collabs. to drop our as a collab or a duet. We wanted to be, you know, a solo uh, single. Uh, so, uh, a composer, uh, he's also a music producer and a lyricist, he's great. Uh, he sent a top line as a voice note with different lyrics. We didn't, you know, vibe with the lyrics, but we love the melody. I told you, vibe with this melody? Ten minutes later, I had written the lyrics and I sent them to her and she loved them. So we're like, cool, we have our song. Now <laughs> I have to get to producing it. But you say we have the song. Did you have this like Caribbean no, no, no. background? No, None no. of that stuff. No, 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 no. And I was planning to, you know, um, do like a acoustic Americana pop sort of thing for it. You know, sort of like a Taylor Swift meets Ed Sheeran sort of thing. But Dana yeah. really didn't want that. She wanted something upbeat. Uh, so I experimented with the Afrobeat, uh, you know, template with this melody and it felt odd to me initially but it then grew on me sort of dana absolutely loved it but she was telling me that something was missing and we were trying to figure out what was the thing that was missing and then she calls me in the middle of the night and she says strings we gotta have strings staccato strings in the chorus it's like Mm. this doesn't make sense you know staccato strings orchestral elements on an afrobeat song it, 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 it felt yeah. too serious and dramatic so it's like i'm not even gonna try it and she's like please try it please try it i finally agreed to it and it sounded dope i mean yeah. it really it really gave a, a different dimension for the chorus so once that element fell in place the entire song made sense 
cool. Yeah. So for um, something like this, when it goes out, I yeah. kind of asked you this earlier with Haifobis, and no, once it goes out, do you feel like, all right, my job is done? Or are you like checking to see engagement? Are you obsessed with if people are liking it? Are you checking with your musician friends? Are you speaking to labels? Are you seeing views and likes and all that stuff? Constantly, constantly. And, you know, with everybody, with, with every artist, uh, with every artist I work with, uh, you know, I get obsessed with the numbers and with the comments and with the engagement and just constantly researching and talking to people and checking how the song is doing. I think I'm the only producer in the region who actually pays for, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, chart metric because it's like really expensive and you know usually labels use it to uh, gauge an artist's success and their development etc yeah. and you know i'm obsessed with it and it's on a permanent tab on my computer and with dana specifically since i'm consulting on the entire project uh, you know i'm i'm a big part of the day-to-day -day of checking with the label uh, she, she, actually she wasn't with uh, with the label we actually uh, she's independent and we distributed this with empire but empire now offered her a record deal and looks like she's gonna go for it hopefully uh maybe by the time this gets released the deal would be done or not i'm not sure we'll see breaking news breaking news, <laughs> breaking news. so yeah uh, so i'm constantly on calls with suhel just checking on everything, seeing what's happening with editorial, how are the DSPs reacting to the release, what are our organic numbers. And we try to keep the song as organic as possible. If you look at the numbers, you know, they're not huge, but, you know, everybody's happy with the song and the feedback is incredible and we're happy with that. Does the obsession about the numbers help your mental health or de destroy your mental health? Uh... You know, it really doesn't affect it. Like, okay, so like I, I have a lot of mental health issues. I'm diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder and I'm, you know, I take meds for it and a lot of things yeah. trigger me, but 99.99% it has nothing to do with music or my career or the numbers. The numbers, it's not that I'm obsessed with them. It's, they tell you things. They make you understand things if you look at them in the right way. So if you look at a YouTube video and you see like a hundred million streams and you know, call it successful and call it a day, uh, you're looking at it wrong because you have to understand what sort of engagement these numbers are getting you. And how are people, you know, reacting to the songs, if you're, to the song. If you're getting these numbers, but people hate the song, that's, you know, obviously not the best thing on the planet unless your primary intention in making the song is to make them hate the song. My obsession is with how people feel about what we've created. Let me say that again. So your obsession is understanding how people feel about what, how you, what you created. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have an intended feeling you want them to feel with every single with every single track? Of course, because every song, you know, conveys, is supposed to convey an emotional message. If we're, if we're talking about pop, at least, you know, sure. maybe, yeah. you know, experimental something is not, not sure. But with pop music, every song is supposed to make you feel a certain thing. You know, if it's a breakup song, it's supposed to make you feel sad or empowered or yeah. depending on what, you know, the lyrics are and the melody is trying to convey. 
if it's, you know, a pop song telling you to raise your hands in the air and, you know, pop a bottle, it's supposed to make you dance and spend more money on alcohol in a club, you know? So there is a sort of uh, intentionality with everything that gets released. And, you know, a good indicator of whether, you know, you did your job well is uh, if the song actually got people to feel the way the song is supposed to make them feel. Uh, one example I can that comes to mind that you know achieves this on a very very small scale, and that's not even a song. You know, it was an interlude I created for uh, Adonis's album, one of Adonis's albums. Yeah, uh, I I composed it, I performed it, I recorded it. It was like m- my own thing, and it's just you know a little transitional moment in the in the album. And back then I was reading a lot of Mark Fisher. And I was obsessed with, you know, ontology and, you know, nostalgia for things that never were and all of that. And I wanted to convey that feeling. So when I created this piece that I'll play right now and show you the first comment. The first comment. Okay. So literally the first comment is somehow this makes me feel nostalgic over memories I never lived. So when yeah. I saw that, I knew I had done my job well because this is this was what I was trying to convey, and at least you know one people felt it and you know commented about it, and it had like thirty nine people who agreed to it, <laughs> with with seventeen k views. So that's yeah. that's really good engagement for seventeen k views. Yeah, yeah, it's not like you you like told you all your friends to no res like <laughs> no check it. Let's hear it. vibes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i like the i like the um, the backwards the flipped uh little soundbite at the end yeah super 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 nice cool. um so i want to talk a little bit more about um this the metrics thing because very much i'm asking for a friend like mm. cool. and no the 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 number of stories of creators and creatives who exist in a very sort of online 
social media marketplace um, who have completely burnt out and washed out on shores because of the necessary obsession with metrics. It's baked into everything you do. You have to be checking number of likes and views and engagement and, uh, and reach and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, um, and kids born after 2005, basically, are, nat are native. They think in those terms. It's completely yeah. their first language. Yeah. So as somebody who kind of works in this world, I can see the creeping feelings of that. Right. I can, I can start to taste that burnout. Like, oh my God, like I got to get off of this. I got to get off the, my equivalent of metric chart metrics. Mm. So I'm asking you because you, your work is in, is dealing with and in the exchange of popularity, you're making music that is interested in popularity, mm. right? Yeah. That's the, that's the exchange rate that you deal with. Okay. So how... How do you avoid the crushing weight of the possible defeat that the things that you're trying to make popular are not popular? Okay, so trip أول شيء إنه it's always been there إنه من أول ما بلشت الموسيقى تشتغل ككوموديتي جوات الرأسمالية في charts وفي album sales وبيطلع لك platinum هذا وفي Grammys بيكون في vote يعني في كذا مطرح وين انه you are being judged على انت الشيء اللي انت عامله وهذا الشيء ممكن يزيد لك من popularity تبعك او يقلل لك من popularity تبعك اللي بينربط directly بالmaterial conditions تبعك انت كارتست and the more popular you are the more money you're gonna make the less popular you are the more likely it is انه عم تشتغل شيء ما خصه بالموسيقى لتقدر تعيش لتكون قادر انه تجرب تضلك تعمل موسيقى اللي هو منه احلى شيء بالعالم. فطول عمرها موجوده هلا بس اسرع وعلى سكيل كثير اكسسبل وهيك عشوائيه اكثر والسيجنيفايرز كثروا يعني الماتريكس هن بحد ذاتهم صاروا كثير كثار ويور كونستنتلي بومبارديد وذ ذيم سو اوبفيسلي ات كانت بي جود فور يور منتل هيلث بس انه يعني بس بس انه يعني منا انه الشيء الوحيد يعني بعرف ارجيومنت كثير بشع انه منا الشيء الوحيد بس انه ما في شيء طبيعي بالدنيا هلا عرفت شو قصدي؟ يعني مش بس على صعيد الاكسشينج اوف بوبيلاريتي ف يعني ما بدي اكون كثير ثقيل بس انه هي هيك شكلها عرفت شو قصدي؟ وانه انه انلس انه يعني عم نشتغل كلنا يعني ان ان اورجنايزد فاشن تو ديسمانتل ونحط شيء ثاني محلها انه راح تضلها هيك عرفت ويلي عباله يلعب الاكسرسايز انه يكون ارتست ويلعب لعبه الارت از ا كوموديتي جوات الراسماليه انه بده يتحمل انه يكون منتل هيلث ايشوز تبعه عم يجوا من التشارتس من الماتريكس عرفت يعني ما يعني اي فيل نو سيمباثي فور سمبادي يو نو ان ارتست جيتنج بيرند اوت بيكوز اوف ذير نمبرز نو دونت بي ان ارتست بي سمثينج ايلس Interesting. It's cool. It's a tough take. Yeah, but it's not tough. It's not tough. يعني بمنطلق إنه آه هيك صح وشدوا حالكم. بالعكس أنا ما إنه يعني تبطل كوموديتي أصلاً. عارف شو قصدي هي وغير إشياء. بس إنه بهلا الوضع الحالي خيّه إنه يعني يا أما we break it down من عمر شيء محله يا أما اللي بدو يضلوا عم يلعب اللعبة يتحمل اللعبة كيفية. Yeah. It's like you're telling a. It's like you're telling somebody who wants to go play football, and no, 
you're going to get injured. You're going to sweat a lot. You're going to, you know, hurt your ankles. You're going to do everything. But that's the game. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. Yeah. So you don't have any secrets for um, maintaining a balance and somehow dealing with those ankle injuries. No, there therapists, you know, and very accessible, وفي مديكيشن اذا حدا بحب يروح على الراوت انا صار لي 10 سنين باخذ سيروكسات بجنن عرفت؟ بعد اكيد اوبيسلي في قصص بتعمل لي كثير انزايتي بس انه اكيد ولا مره رح اكون عم بعمل انزايتي لانه والله غنيه ما عم تنجح، ايه ما رح اكون مبسوط بفضل الغنيه تنجح لانه ات ادز تو ماي بورتفوليو اند اتس ا نايس ايجو بوست اند ات فيلز نايس تو هاف يو نو مليونز اوف بيبل ريزونيت وذ سمثينج ذات يو كرييتد بس ات ذا اند اوف ذا داي ما في فورميلا اصلا ذات بريدكس اذا شيء رح يمشي ولا لا يعني بالنهاية انت yeah. حتى ما بجرب انا ما بجرب اعمل شيء مع الانتنشن انه تضرب الغنيه، انا الانتنشن انه يوصل الايموشنال مسج خيي عرفت؟ هلا العالم حسوه ما حسوه كذا وهيك يعني ما في سنكليار فاكتور خيي في فاكتورز بلا طعمه مثل مثلا انه بجولاي ستريمينج كله بيقشط لانه العالم بيكونوا عم ذير نوت كوميوتينج خيي على شغلهم سو ما عم يعملوا ستريمينج عرفت؟ قصص هيك انه كثير يعني ما في سيطر على الموضوع انه ايه ما راح ازعل عرفت؟ انه ايه بفضل الغنيه تجيب 50 مليون بدل ما تجيب نص مليون بس انه ما راح اعمل انهيار اوفر ات. اوكي. This is this sounds like the uh the advice I needed for me صراحه. Sorry, I appreciate it. Um okay. You want to play a little bit of the Nasif Zaytun one? I would love to. Let's play yeah, it. Listening to this, what is your like your emotional reaction to this? Uh, my emotional reaction على شيء أنا بكون عامله is inherently gonna be different من إنه حدا عم يسمع الشغلة لأنه you know يعني ما بعرف يعني الرد بعين أمه غزال إنه أنا بحسها كتير حلوة يعني حتى في كتير قصص مثلاً العالم ما بحبوه أنا عمله أنا بحسهم حلوين لأنه بكون أنا عاملهم So I enjoy it as something I created, but it's very difficult for me to feel the actual emotional message of the song. If you were to put together a five track list, must listen to tracks from the genre of Arab pop, 
what would that track list be? Okay. لو ما كون كتير شايف بحالي بس رح حط غنية واحدة منهم جوات من طبعي. Okay. So. بتطلع لك واحدة. أكيد أكيد بلا ما نحس لازم تنسمع. أنا عن جد كتير بحب هيد الغنية. وتبرم فينا الدنيا فجاه ونصفي اغراض اذر ستاف في حاجات ننسي عجرا الغنيه بتاخذ التوزيع هذه شراره بيقتل اتمنى حلو uh, عن جد يعني ات واز مايند بلوينج وقت نزلت هذه الغنيه في حاجات تتحس وما تتقلش وإن جيت أطلبها أنا ما أقدرش كيفك أنت؟ أنا ما حدا في يسمع إنه يقول بدي أسمع أغاني عربي وما يسمع كيفك أنت وراخر مرة شفتك سنتا تذكر وقتها آخر كلمة قلتا وما عيدت شفتا وعم جرب ما يكونوا كمان الاثنين الباقيين عاملهم زياده رح بين يروح كثير صعب ما يكونوا زياده رح بين شو بدنا نقول صعب كثير هالسؤال زياد برجي شو حلو This is يعني a really good template of you know really simple really innocent really feel good pop song with no strings attached and it did incredibly well uh, and let's go with something older or something newer you know let's go let's go with George Wasuf بيحسدوني because heck it's so different from everything else it's startup but it's also you know pop because it's really popular Okay, the last question is, where do you think most of the the best uh, pop songs are coming out of across the Arab world? Right now? Both? Yeah, right now. Egypt. Whether it's it. Okay, so tell me why. Uh, their dialect helps because they have one of the best dialects in Arabic music to write songs to. Uh, and, you know, it's a huge territory. So there are a lot of incredible music makers doing their thing. And, you know, they have a massive history of, you know, creating hits and, you know, a very rich musical heritage. And I think that's being used in tandem with, you know, their new uh, crossover of, you know, more street music into the mainstream to create something that's very interesting and very appealing to all all of the region. Uh, you know, Mahraganat did wonders for the culture, even though, you know, it faced a lot of backlash. Uh, but I don't think we would have, you know, Egyptian hip hop, which is, you know, very popular right now, if it weren't uh, trampolined by Mahraganat. But we also we wouldn't have, you know, uh, things like, uh, you know, the, the, the current shape of Arabic, uh, of, of Egyptian pop, if not for Mahraganat and 
Egyptian hip hop and Tarab back then and Egyptian pop throughout the years. You know, that whole mix is just creating something really dope and really interesting. And I really recommend anyone who would like to listen to Arabic pop right now to listen to a lot of Egyptian music. Interesting. Actually, uh, I wanted to ask you real quick before we, before we log off. I heard this story of you like hearing Zef on the side of the street and thinking he had potential. Is this true or is this like folklore? No, no, it's true. But that was even before I became a producer. I was out uh, with my family. Uh, I was quite young. I think I was like 15 or 16. I was out with my family in Jebel. We were going uh, to a restaurant and he was busking. He, he'd been busking for a while. He does it because he likes it, you know, not... Yeah. Not professional. We saw him on the street and he was singing and there was a whole lot of people around him and he was singing really well. It was impressive at the performance. He was my age, so I just talked to him and I told him, you know, you, you sound dope, you're incredible. I, I love what you do. I think you're going to be huge someday. And then a few years later, Rijal Andi a studio with Anthony from Adonis to produce a song. We didn't know each other. We didn't know each other later, after we started the song, that we were the two of them. Very interesting. I love the idea. I love the idea of him saying to you, Lick, you have great taste. You're also going to be huge one day. Yeah, right? Um, okay, we have this quick Q&A. Um, I'm only going to ask you one of the questions. Do you have time? Yeah, have a few of course, minutes? of course. Okay, let's do all four of them if I can. Cool. So for the quick Q&A, the first question is, what are you listening to right now? What am I listening to right now? Tarif, uh... Right now, uh, nothing specific. That a playlist that I put on every day. It's my feel good dinner on Spotify. For the last year, I playlist. listening to stuff on the charts to see what's out there, etc. It's a very active process. I need some, something that I can listen to passively, and that's just gonna put a good vibe in my house. So I'm mainly yeah, listening yeah. to this playlist right now. Nice. Yeah. Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Shadow for a day, Max Martin, a kid. Well, for a day, yeah. for, a, for a year, a month. Still on the Max is on If you're hiring, I know. Mustad. Inter. And we're back to the Backstreet Boy. Man, it's معقول man. It's معقول. Zalam music to show No. Yeah. Khwet. It's funny because like going back to that idea of like being a hit maker, mm. just not overcomplicated, overcomplicating things, getting straight to the idea, music that is challenging, but not too much, just like a sprinkle of challenging, right? I don't think that's what it is. What is it then? How do you make a hit? Again, you try to convey the emotional message properly and you pray to the God that you believe in or as I don't believe in God, you don't pray, you hope, okay? Yeah. hits that are very, very, very complicated, yeah. 
Yeah. It's so funny. I'm hearing you talk about this. Obviously, I've written zero hits in my life, right? Mm. Um, and I fundamentally misunderstand this. I mean, you've said the sentence to me like maybe 15 times in this interview. And no, Mikey, it's about the emotion. Flight of the bumblebee. Okay. Yeah. Can you sing it? Yeah. I mean, I could try, but and try. I won't force please. it. No, no, please. Like that type of thing. It's impossible to sing, yet everybody has Flight of the Bumblebee inside of their psyche because it sounds like a flight of a swarm of bumblebees. You know, emotional message is conveyed. It's a very complex piece of music. It's incredibly hard to play. It's incredibly hard to sing. It's a hit. Yeah. No emotion, no hit. Yeah. Do all pop stars, all successful pop stars understand that? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. What do people most misunderstand about your work? Uh, the Arabic terminology for uh, producer is muazza. Uh, which translates directly to arranger in English. Uh, but the not a lot of people understand how that term should be. If you're not in the industry, uh, you really don't understand what is it a producer does. Because most people only really hear the vocal melody, the music that's around it, that's, you know, just an atmosphere that's happening around around the vocal, you know? What is it that you do? And it's very mm. hard to explain that, you know, I'm, I sort of build the song and the melody is sort of just like the top line, the, the vocal line and everything else is something that I create. Uh, makes it very, Different to explain, at the end, I was defaulting to saying whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting to, to try to explain that. Um, mm. What did you misunderstand about what, the, what a producer was? Like if I was speaking to that kid who was on Fruity Loops. I, and thought, I, I, I thought they made much more money. <laughs> I managed to build myself a steady career. Uh, I do this for a living. And, you know, it's a glamorous job. It's a great job. And I'd rather be doing this than anything else in the world. But honestly, like 10 years ago, I really thought I'd be much, much, much wealthier than I am right now. Popping bottles. Not, not necessarily. Just, you know, financially stable, at least. <laughs> <laughs> All the parents who are listening right now are discouraging their sons and daughters from going into artistic careers. Forget he just said that. It's an extremely stable career. <laughs> Yeah, 
ما في ما في ايمرجنسيز وعارف شو عرفت انه اتس هيك كوزي جيج وبلا هيت ايه وبلا هيت اخ اوكي لا عم بمزح بس انه ايه انه اي ثينك اي ثينك ات واز يو نو مور فور برودوسرز اند يو نو اندستري بروفيشنالز اندستري كرييترز اي ثينك باك ذن ات واز يعني كانت بتطلع مصاري اكثر كان في كان كانت الاندستري فيها مصاري اكثر لا هو للناس هلا اتس سورت اوف ديفرنت Last question: Go What ahead. artist from the past would you would be your dream collaborator? Michael Jackson, Akid, King of Pop. No. Yeah. I would have loved to work with Miles Davis. Someone. Yeah. Man, so fun talking to you. Um, if anyone's interested it. interested in listening to your music, it is all over the place. Uh, all up and down the charts online indie hits we barely talked about any of the uh, indie stuff that you've done so we're going to have to have a follow up conversation to talk about that all right man thank you so much hey i hope you enjoyed that episode if you'd like to watch the full uncut version go to youtube.com/afikra there you can see the full video versions of these podcasts If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikra.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com/support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.